is Tom Lee, Editor-in-Chief of NEJM Catalyst, and we're continuing our discussions of diversity in the C-suite of healthcare organizations, which I think has been established in some of our previous podcasts and articles as something that is not about political correctness. It's really about performance. Uh, you need a diverse C-suite in order to perform as well as you can for a variety of reasons. Uh, but we won't go into that today any deep, any more deeply. We're going to talk instead to Odette Bolano, who's president and CEO of St. Alphonsus Regional Medical Center in Boise, Idaho, part of the Trinity system. Odette was born and raised in Bogota, Colombia. In between Bogota and Boise, she came to the United States for her education and her training as a nurse, and soon she got a master's in healthcare administration. She then took on a range of managing positions in HCA and became a CEO at the age of 33 for the first time at Doctors Hospital, a tenant facility in Dallas. Then she has had roles in the Ascension System at Kaiser Permanente and now Trinity. Odette, you've been at St. Alphonsus for five years now, uh, but before we talk about what it's like being a Hispanic female CEO in Boise, can you tell us a bit about St. Alphonsus and how it fits in the Trinity system? Yes, thank you, Tom. So um, St. Alphonsus Health System is part of the Trinity um, Health System, which is the one of the largest public health systems in the country. Um, you know, probably five years ago, people didn't know where Boise, Idaho was, and it was a, you know, a wonderfully kept secret of this beautiful area. And today it really is a booming um, area with lots of growth. Um, so for Trinity, uh, who is in 22 states, this four hospital health system is very important uh, from a growth and carrying out our mission um, of serving our communities and really being here uh, in a way that makes a difference uh, through Catholic healthcare. Now, one of my favorite parts of your St. Alphonsus story uh, is that there was this brief period where you left St. Alphonsus, moved to Miami for a job, and then was asked to return as CEO just one month later, and you did. Can you tell us how that happened? Yeah, so um, I, I moved to actually Fort Lauderdale, and you know, my history is I started um, in uh, my senior leader career with um, Columbia HCA. I was with them for about 10 and a half, 11 years, and then I moved over to Ascension, and I was with them for uh, 11 years. So I went from for-profit to non-for-profit um, faith-based healthcare, and then I got an incredible opportunity to go to Kaiser to really understand what vertically integrated uh, full-service healthcare was, right, in a very different way. You know, I, I loved Kaiser, but really my passion is with Catholic healthcare. I actually, you know, I believe that sometimes you take a lateral move in your career to do what really is your passion. So I came to you know, Alphonsus as the president and CEO of our trauma center. And during that time I was, I was here, I got an opportunity to really explore private equity and uh, join, um, a, you know, a uh, turnaround in private equity. And um, it was a really, really difficult decision for me to leave. But 
my history has always shown me that I'm a person that loves to take calculated risk, learn, challenge myself. So um, with a very deep, deep heart, uh, I left and uh, went to private equity and, and was learning a tremendous amount. And then there was a change um, in Boise uh, around the you know CEO position for the health system. And um, I got to tell you, Tom, you know, um, the, the outcry from physicians to the community, to board members, uh, to Trinity, you know, requesting if I would consider coming back was just um, very humbling. And uh, I just thought, you know, I've always been very committed to Catholic healthcare. I loved Trinity, loved um, St. Alphonsus and the work that uh, we have been doing here for 125 years and made a really difficult decision to go ahead after a very short period of time, leave that private equity work and come back. So, you know, I laugh at myself because I sold a house here, um, bought one in Fort Myers and then uh, turned around and sold that house and came back to Boise and bought a smaller house for more money at a higher interest rate. So, uh, you know, it was definitely not because of uh, the housing market that I moved around, but uh, the passion that I have about Catholic healthcare. Uh, I have wondered that whether you had time to furnish your home in Florida before turning around and moving back. Uh, but regardless of whether you did or not, I am sure that uh, it must have been a really deep passion that made move back after like uh, uh, picking up and moving cross country as you did. But now let's turn a little deeper to your story uh, because, you know, the fact is there aren't that many uh, Hispanic CEOs in U.S. healthcare or women or nurses, and you're all three. Uh, I know there's going to be a lot of interest in your story. And, you know, what would you say are, you know, the top, you know, success ingredients, the most important success ingredients that account for uh, you're moving into CEO roles at a, you know, at a very early age. So um, I grew up in a household full of healthcare. Um, my relatives, you know, my father is a retired pediatrician. My mom uh, was a director of laboratory services at a hospital. Um, I have many uncles that are uh, physicians. I have a brother that's a physician, one that's a dentist. I mean, it, it is, you know, uh, sadly to say, maybe I just wasn't courageous to explore outside of the medical field, but it was something that was truly a calling from an early age, watching my family and how they served. And I always had a deep passion um, for leadership. I mean, I, I knew that whatever I did, I wanted to do it in a way that I would be successful in leading. Um, and I think my father was really instrumental. Um, you know, when I'm the, the only daughter. I have three brothers and a Hispanic family. I we immigrated when I was eight. So very protective Hispanic father. But what, I, what he really gave me and what I saw my mother do is never allow anybody to limit your dreams and never allow your belief that because you're a woman, you can't do what you want. And my mother, you know, worked her whole life. Uh, she was a professional. So I had great, great um, 
people showing me the way of how to move forward. So I think that we all decide on our careers uh, based on what feels comfortable and how we learn and then how we want to get to our dream. So for me, knowing that I wanted to get into leadership um, and knowing that I wanted to do something in healthcare, I really decided that nursing was the way to go. And being able to really understand the front lines of how things happen in healthcare through the eyes of a nurse, being a nurse, was really the way that I felt I would get the best education to be a good leader and to really lead within healthcare. So I went to nursing school knowing that I wanted to be a CEO of a hospital. I mean, at that time, my dream was be a CEO of a hospital, right? Change has occurred over the last 30 years in a way that, you know, my horizons were broadened as I really got into healthcare. So um, just the passion that my parents had to make sure that I was able to have the education, the upbringing, the values to truly um, get to whatever it was that I needed to, to be fulfilled was really the main ingredient. And I would say that you have to identify mentors along the way, you know, and I had some incredible mentors. I think that you also learn um, maybe um, supervisors and leaders that you've had in your life that maybe didn't do a great job, right? And, and uh, paying attention to what things maybe didn't go well for them as a learning opportunity is also a way to, you know, shape your career and shape your leadership roles. But for me, really being in the front lines, being able to have conversations with nurses, with respiratory therapists, with physicians all along, understanding what they do every single day has been really um, what allowed me to, to have the success that I think that I've had. Well, that's really interesting. And I don't know that I've heard it, heard that uh, perspective articulated before, uh, that being a nurse positions you really well to uh, be you know, a CEO uh, because you really understand what the key stakeholders are going through. You understand what patients are going through. You understand what doctors and other clinicians and other staff are going through. And you really, really grasp it because you're interacting with those people all day long. Uh, that's a very valuable perspective that uh, I think a lot of people are going to, uh, you know, pause and think about. But now there is a difference between being a good and effective manager and making the leap to being the CEO. And how did you make that transition at, you know, the age of 33? How was it that Tenant wanted you to be a CEO? And how did you feel at that time about your own readiness for that role? Yeah, so, um, you know, I grew up in the hospital um, system, and, you know, I was a nurse, then I became a director, then I became a chief nursing officer, then I became a, a chief operating officer, um, you know, moving from um, a small hospital to a bigger hospital as a CNO, and the same thing as a COO. I would say that, um, you know, uh, ADA, Columbia CA really prepared me. They challenged me. They gave me assignments. They gave me stretch assignments. They had a development program. And I think all of those things help you 
but I saw that, you know, I had progressed pretty, pretty um, much through most of the senior leadership um, positions with the exception of the CFO, right? I call, I call myself a closet CFO, but always took on stretch assignments. So for Columbia HCA, um, you know, in the midst of the first huge uh, corporate integrity agreement, right back in whatever year that was in the late 1990s. Um, I volunteered myself, even though um, I already had a full-time job as the COO, to be the integrity and compliance officer for um, the hospital that I was working at. And, you know, there was a requirement that it be a senior leader to take on that role. And I, you know, barely knew much but I took on that role because I knew that HCA would give me the opportunity and the learning. So I've always myself in a way that I was planning for my next move and making sure that I was taking on challenging stretch assignments that I was ferociously reading, learning, exposing myself um, to seminars and, you know, ACHE has been a part of my life from since when I was a student, um, and I just at that point um, felt like, gosh, I've really done and succeeded in all my senior leader roles, and I think you're never really ready. If you're ready, maybe you should think that you sat in that position way too long, right? Too much comfort, but um, I really believe in taking calculated risk and challenging yourself. Your, yourself. You never you never learn if you don't challenge yourself, if you're not uncomfortable. And so I felt I was getting comfortable, could do, you know, the COO position with my eyes closed. And so it was time to take on a new challenge. And um, Tenet gave me that opportunity. Well, that's a valuable description you just gave, because uh, it makes me think, you know, leaders are both born and made. Uh, you know, you're, you have certain personality characteristics, which uh, uh, you were born with and came out of your family uh, uh, environment, uh, but then you worked really hard. Uh, but then also, you know, you alluded to the fact that HCA had programs where they were systematically trying to help people like you develop. And uh, so it's very important, I think, for great organizations to have programs like that to you know, to bring along the, the next generation of leaders. Um, now, when you go places where there are going to be challenges, as you have throughout your career, there have to be some pretty tough days. Uh, can you give an example of a crisis and how you work through it? Well, gosh, the most recent one is what we're living today, right? <laughs> uh, the pandemic and the vaccines and um I mean, there's always challenges, but I think that the greatest one in my career that I will, you know, remember forever is what we're experiencing, not only as a country, but as a society, a global society. And I think, uh, you know, early on um, when we, there was a lot of uncertainty and a lot of unknown, it was really important um, for me to really convey to the organization that I didn't have all the answers and that we would work through this together and that we, you know, we would, you know, have a course and have to change it. And, and we had to respect that, that it wasn't 
because we were just doing things for the sake of doing things, but things were changing and we were learning so rapidly and we're having to change course that it's important to allow your leaders to know it's okay to be uncertain. It's okay to be vulnerable. As a team, we will continue to move forward in, in this space. And I think that, um, you know, for my organization, I coined grace, compassion, and understanding. You know, I, I um, write a, um, something that I call reflection every two weeks to all of our colleagues. And it's just my thoughts of what's happened over the last two weeks, you know, and hopefully people getting to know me not only as a leader, but as a person uh, who's leading them, um, you know, through, through, through time. And uh, in one of those early on, I had read a poem um, that we're all in the same storm, but we're all in different boats. You know, some people may be in a yacht, some people may be in a canoe with a hole in it. We're all going through the storm and we're all experiencing something different. And so every day and every interaction has to be filled with grace, compassion, and understanding. And being visible, being present, um, I think is really important where you're going through something that has people unsettled, not only professionally, but personally. And so I think high visibility, continual communication, even when you have to come out and say, we know we said this five hours ago, but now we're changing course. And this is the reason why is really important. People understand that you're human, you're allowing to be vulnerable, you're being humble. Um, and people don't want want a leader that thinks that they know everything and you have to trust your team and you have to allow the experts you know just because you're the ceo doesn't mean that you are the expert and you have to allow those experts to be in charge um, when the time is right for them to be the ones that are calling the shots so i think that you know all of that is how you handle crisis um, allowing your team uh, to have some downtime, allowing them to make mistakes um, and acknowledging that we only learn by our mistakes, right? We all learn by things that we did great, but not as deeply as when we have a mistake or an error or a false start. Um, so I think that that has been extremely beneficial for me. And I think um, holding on to your values is really important. It's easy sometimes when you're feeling pretty vulnerable and you're feeling at risk to maybe slide on your values. And um, I think that's really dangerous because if you allow your values to somewhat be compromised in the slightest way, the next time it's easier and easier to compromise your values. And so for me, you know, integrity and reverence and transparency really are at the heart of how I lead and how I judge everything that I do. Now, have you felt that there were times where being a Hispanic or a woman or a nurse was working against you in your management roles and, and how did you deal with it? Yeah, so let me start with the nurse. You know, I think sometimes um, just uh, early on in my senior leadership, you know, nursing leaders were not at the same level as, let's say, the chief operating officer. Um, 
you know, and I, I really pushed to show up as a leader, to have executive presence, to really be bold and understanding of not, I was not only representing nursing as the CNO, but I was representing the organization. And I think it took um, CNOs, so that's in the 90s, I think it took CNOs quite a bit of time to really be able to be um, at the table. And some were at the table much earlier than others because I think of their ability to really um, understand the more um, broader picture of the organization um, while stating the, you know, importance of nursing who, you know, makes up 60 to 70% of the workforce. So I think I learned early on, on watching maybe other peers or CNO that I had in my, you know, in my lifetime about how could I show up differently that I would have a much broader seat and voice at the table. Um, you know, I would say that even though I was an only girl in, you know, a family of, you know, three other siblings, my parents never allowed me. I, it just never entered my mind that my gender would be a limiting factor for me. So I really never focused on that. But I do remember a time, which I won't name, um, when I, you know, was going for a, um, a CEO position and somebody who I respected quite well when I told him I was gonna, you know, a boss, when I told him I was gonna put my name in for the position, I was telling the person who I would, one of the people I would have to interview, said, you know, you're probably the most qualified person, but I need a male in this position. That was the first time that I ever felt, you know, very directly that my gender was um, seen as potentially a barrier for me to move in my career. I didn't let that hold me up. I didn't make a big deal of it. I just, you know, um, pushed forward and continued to work on, you know, what I knew um, were the skills that I needed to continue to hone in on. So um, that was the really the probably most uh, like in my face time that I felt being a woman was an issue. Um, but I didn't let it I didn't, I didn't let it affect me too long. The only other time, which is, I think, a, just a, a fun story, is I was on a board and I was going to my first meeting and this was in Texas. And uh, it was CEOs uh, that were you know, really made up this, um, this board. Uh, it was a, a purchasing group that we all owned a part of and, and were on the board. And so we um, usually had a dinner before the meeting the next morning. And so I walked in, I knew some of the people, but it was really you know, new for me because I was new to that board. And everybody was mingling for a while. And then somebody that I knew came over and I was the only female in that room. Again, I didn't even really realize that. And he came over and he whispered, these are you know, wonderful Texas men, came and whispered in my ear and he said, you know, Deb, we cannot sit down for dinner until you sit down. <laughs> And I thought that was such a cute story, such a cute thing. You know, they wanted to be respectful because I was the only female in the room. But um, but I was very conscious that night that I, I was the only female in the room. Um, but other, you know, other than those two uh, times, I just really, I do have a passion for women because it has become such a discussion point. 
um, that, you know, I really have made it my mission to help elevate women uh, to their greatest potential. Well, now let's wrap up by uh, with this, so that if you could go back in time and give advice to a young Odette Bolano, uh, like the young woman in her early 30s with two young kids who was just starting to rise as a manager, uh, what would what two or three things would you emphasize the most? Yeah, what I would say is leadership is not about having all the answers, but admitting that you don't have the answers and inviting others to the table. I think humility and vulnerability play an important part of leadership. And I think every young leader doesn't realize that, right? That comes with maturity, but oh boy, is it so important. And realizing that it takes a village and never forget that failure is part of growing and challenging the status quo. The way you describe it, Odette, it makes me feel almost like uh, women have an unfair advantage in uh, <laughs> becoming leaders compared to men, uh, at least uh, the stereotype of men. Uh, it's been a real pleasure getting to know you uh, in this last year and better today. And I know it's going to be great to watch as your career unfolds. And thank you so much for sharing some of your insights with our audience today. Thank you, Tom. It's been a privilege. Thank you so much.